Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. When I was 14 years old, I had a dream, and I saw Jesus, and he said, God's time will come in 18 years. And I remember going to school, telling all my friends about it. 18 years from when I was 14 was 1986. What happened in 1986? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> and I learned not every dream you think is from God is from God. Uh, my, my point is, I didn't think I'd live to be this old. <laughs> and do you know that for 2,000 years, Christians have thought they were living at the end of time? And in a sense, they're right, because according to the New Testament, ever since Jesus rose from the dead, we've been living in the last times. This time period between the resurrection of Christ and his second coming, it's all the end times. Well, today I want us to look at what is the Bible's advice for living at the end of time? Because the way things are going, maybe we are in the end of time. And even if we aren't, it's always safe to live like we are. So what is the Bible's advice for how to live in these end time days? Would you take out your Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and let's read on commandments for the end of time. Let's pray first. Father, we don't know if we're going to be here long or short, but we do pray you would open our ears and our hearts, and as we open the Bible, speak to us on how we should live in these days. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So here are the Apostle Paul's commands for the end of time. Paul is writing this about 50 A.D. to the church at Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 starting at verse 1. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you, you, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. In other words, suddenly. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Now we look ahead to the commands for the end of time. Skip ahead to verse 16. Rejoice always. Here's the first commandment for how to live at the end of time. Rejoice always. That's a command form of the verb. It's a duty. Christian, you're commanded. Rejoice. And I read a man who said this, a religion that makes a man look sick will not win the world. In other words, if your Christianity makes you depressed and mope and grieved all the time, something's wrong. <laughs> the thing that will attract unbelievers to Christ is when they see joy in his people. <clears throat> if you go to England and you want to know if the queen is in the castle, the sign that the queen is in residence is that there's a, 
a flag at the top of the castle. If the flag is not flying, she's somewhere else. There's an old Christian song that goes, Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart that the king is in residence there. In other words, the, peop the way people know that you have Christ in your heart, reigning as king, is the joy is the flag flown high that alerts people to the fact that you're a believer. So the first command for the end of time is rejoice. It's a command. Let's look at verse 17, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. Second command on how to live at the end of time, pray constantly. Now, what does the Apostle Paul mean by that? Because you have to sleep, you have to eat, you have to go to work, you have to do all these things. Well, I think pray without ceasing simply means always be praying. Never go for a long period without prayer. I thought of myself as a kid. When I was a kid, my prayer life was, now I lay me down to sleep and pray to our Father who art in heaven. And that was it. But then, around my teenage years, I started to praying to God in my head, on and off, all day long. Still do. I mean, if I sin at 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm not going to wait till 6 o'clock at night to talk to God about it. I do it then and there. Pray constantly, the Apostle Paul says. Look at verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Next command, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I remember hearing someone teach on this verse saying, notice, Paul doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. He says give thanks in all circumstances. So we're always to thank God, but not for everything. And I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's another verse. The same Paul who writes here, give thanks in all things, says this in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, quote, give thanks for all things. In other words, we not only thank him in all things, we thank him for all things. Even the bad stuff, because Romans 8.28 promises God will use even the bad stuff for the good of those who love him. I have a certain loved one who I thought was a Christian. I've been praying for her her whole life. In recent years, she's made some very tragic, unchristian lifestyle decisions, and I've really been praying for her. And then I was told this week that her teenage daughter tried to kill herself twice this week. Do we thank God for that? Well, in a strange way, give thanks for all things. If that's going to be what it takes to wake her mother up and bring her back to Christ, give thanks in all things and for all things, Romans 8.28. Perhaps uh, you've heard of the famous composer Jerome Kern. He wrote Old Man River and a lot of famous songs. Well, in 1915, Jerome Kern had a, a ticket to sail on a cruise from New York to England, and he missed the boat. And, oh, I missed, the, I missed my cruise to England. Boy, is it good he missed that cruise to England. It was the Lusitania who got sunk in 1915. 1,200 people died. So my point is, not only give thanks in all circumstances, give thanks for all circumstances. God may be doing something that you don't see. There's a story of a man who gets shipwrecked. He spends days building himself a little hut uh, on, this, on the shore of, of this little island. 
and he finally gets the hut done. And then he goes back into the jungle and comes back out and s somehow lightning hit the, hit the hut, it burns to the ground. And the man sits on the shore and he weeps. And suddenly a ship shows up and he's rescued. And he said to the captain, how did you know I was here? And the captain said, we saw your smoke signal. <laughs> In other words, what looks like a mistake to you, hang in there, claim Romans 8.28, and give thanks in all circumstances and for all circumstances. Look at verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophesying. Here's the next command for the end of time. Do not quench the spirit or despise prophesying. In other words, look at verse 19 and 20 and answer this question. How do you quench the spirit? The answer is by despising prophesying. In other words, prophecies are not just for the Charismatics or the Pentecostals. It's for the whole church. Is your church open to prophesying? Open to having a word from the Lord? I'll tell you what we used to do at the church that I served for many years. If somebody thought they had a word from the Lord for the whole church, we'd ask them to write it down. And then we would test it. The elders would read it, pray over it, and if it seemed like it was from the Lord, we'd read it to the whole church. If it didn't seem like it was from God, we didn't. But we need to be open to prophesying if we're not going to quench the Spirit. Look at verse 21. But test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Here's the next lesson. Test everything. Test everything against scripture. I'll tell you, I have on my iPhone now uh, a little app called Bible.is. It's free. And I like to lay in bed and just tup, hit, the, hit the app because it reads the Bible to me. And I, the reason I lay in bed and I listen and I listen and I listen to the Bible, if I don't know the Bible, I can't test things against it. You've got to know your Bible or, or this will happen to you. I got a, a letter from a lady, uh, a Lutheran lady in northern Minnesota. Dear Pastor Brock, enclosed is our pastor's coming out sermon. She goes to a liberal ELCA Lutheran church up north, and I read the pastor's sermon in the sermon, he talks about how God, he's a male pastor, God has led me to a male partner, and I'm so blessed by this person, God has brought me. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, these people better start testing their sermons against the written word of God. <laughs> uh, listen, don't believe something just because I say it because I wear a collar. Read your Bible yourself and test everything. You've got to read your Bible so you can test everything, says St. Paul. Well, in the midst of all these commands, the Apostle Paul gives us some good news. Because, you know, we're weak, and these commands look pretty heavy-duty. How do I do all this? Well, look at the good news in verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. That means make you holy completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body kept blame, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words... Um, Verse 23 teaches, God himself will make you holy. I mean, you read this and, you know, it's, here's all these commands and I'm weak and how do I do this? Well, God will do it. It makes it easier. 
when you read all this, to know that God's going to help you do this. One commentator put it this way. It is as if Paul is saying here, I have been urging you to do certain things, but it is only in God's strength that you will be able to do them. It is profoundly satisfying to us believers that in the last resort, what matters is not our feeble hold on God, but God's strong grip on us. In other words, I've heard this definition of faith. Imagine you see a hand coming down out of heaven through the clouds. That's God's hand. And here's your hand. And the hand is just gripping your hand. And the definition of our faith is this. Faith is just squeezing the hand that is gripping yours. In other words, all these commands, you can't do them yourself. You're too weak. God himself, in other words, when you're going through a weak time, you say, God, I'm weak, I'm sinful, I can't do this. So you cry out for God's strength to, co to keep these commands. Uh, I heard this teaching once, and this is wrong. Justification, that is being declared not guilty of your sins, that's God's job. He does that through Christ on the cross. But sanctification, the process of being made holy, that's our job. No, hallelujah, I'm weak, I'm sinful, I can't make me holy. According to this verse, God himself will sanctify you in body, soul, and spirit. All right, let's look at verse 24. He who calls you is faithful, and he surely will do it. Verse 25, brothers, pray for us. Here's the next command for the end of time. Pray for your leaders. Do you pray for your pastor? Do you pray for the elders of your church? Do you pray for the president of the United States? Do you pray for this, the governor and the mayor and the city council? Uh, and Paul is, an, uh, is a missionary here, and he says, pray for us. Do you pray for the missionaries? Here's a story many years ago. A, a missionary couple is about to leave America for what was called the hell hole of Africa, very difficult mission field where people died of disease. and. They got in front of the church and, and the missionary said, my wife and I are going to go, but we feel like we are being let down by ropes into a dark pit. We're going to go, but would, would you hold up the ropes while we're gone? Would you regularly pray for us? They agreed. The missionary couple goes off. A few years later, the missionary comes back to the United States, doesn't tell anybody he's back. He goes to the Wednesday night prayer meeting and he slips into the back row and he listens to the prayer meeting and at the end of the meeting he comes and he stands before the church and he said you didn't pray for us you prayed for yourself and your church but I buried a wife and I buried an infant son in Africa and I now myself am sick and you didn't hold up the ropes Paul the Apostle says pray for us Pray for the missionaries. Pray for your leaders. Let's look at the next command. Verse 26. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Here's the next lesson. Be physically affectionate with fellow Christians. This is said five times. Listen to this. This, is this verse and then Romans 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Corinthians 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13, greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Peter 5, greet one another with a kiss of love. <laughs> and then, then this verse. So do you think the Bible's trying to tell us something? <laughs> We're supposed to be physically affectionate with our Christian brothers and sisters. I will tell you, I'm kind of German, 
And when we get to the part in the worship service, will everyone go around and greet your neighbors this morning? And people are shaking hands with strangers and hugging, and I'm not real comfortable with that. But you know what? I need to get over that. Paul says we should be physically affectionate. I know a, a very loving pastor, and when he shakes hands at the end of the service, the widows line up because he hugs every one of them. And for some of them, that's the only hug they get all week. Well, of course, we need to be appropriate, but we need to be physically affectionate with one another. One last command for the end of time. Verse 27. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. So here's the last command for the end of time. Read these letters. That means the New Testament and the Old Testament. Read these letters. You know, when I, when I was 12 and I got my confirmation Bible, I don't remember anybody telling me to read it. But I had an older sister, Ruth Ann, when I would go into her bedroom at night, she always had her white confirmation Bible open. She read her Bible every night. So when I got mine, I started reading my Bible every night. And Ruthann died when she was 32 years old, but I still have the letters that she wrote me when I was in college. And on a rare occasion, I'll take them out and just reread, and it kind of puts me in touch with Ruthann again. Do you know why God has given you the Bible? These letters, these epistles, and the whole book is the way you stay in touch with God. Reading this book is more important than reading the newspaper, than watching television, than reading romance novels. Read these letters. And, and, and here, here's why. Teddy Roosevelt said, quote, A thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. Dwight Moody Either sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. Martin Luther, the Bible is alive, it speaks to me, it has feet, it runs after me, it has, hand, it has hands, it lays hold of me. Lady Jane Grey, who lost her head, one of the wives of Henry VIII, quote, The highest earthly enjoyments are but a shadow of the joy I find in reading God's word. And then one person said this, the Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Read your Bible. All right, are we living in the end of times? I don't know, but here is what we're commanded to do at the end of time. Number one, rejoice always. Number two, pray constantly. Number three, give thanks in all circumstances and for all circumstances. Uh, next, do not quench the spirit or despise prophesying. Next, test everything against the word of God. Next, it's good news, God himself will sanctify you. Uh, next, pray for your leaders and be physically affectionate with fellow Christians. And lastly, read these letters because again, the Bible that is falling apart belongs usually to people who aren't. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, can we go a little further on your sermon that you just preached? Could you talk again about justification, sanctification, glorification. Yes. Where do they 
all come together or how do they come together? I really think this will help people to understand justification, sanctification, glorification. That means past, present, and future salvation. Justification means I was saved. Sanctification means I am present tense being saved. Glorification is future tense, I will be saved. So let me explain this. Justification means to be, de to be declared not guilty. It's from the court. And Paul is saying, you are justified, you are declared not guilty of your sins, you are saved past tense because your sins were prayed for, were paid for by Christ at Calvary. So I was saved from the, power, from the penalty of sin. But present tense, I'm being saved from the power of sin. Sanctification is that process, lifelong process, by which the Holy Spirit cleans up the believer. So I, I was saved, justified from sin's penalty when, I was, uh, when Christ justified me, past tense. I present tense am being saved by, from sin's power by the Holy Spirit. And then third, I will be saved. That's called glorification. When Christ comes down in the clouds and ends the world and it's all over, that's when I'll be made perfect and holy and I'll be glorified. So again, justification, I was saved from sin's penalty. Sanctification, I am being saved by the Holy Spirit from sin's power. Future tense, I will be saved at the second coming from sin's presence. I won't even be around sin anymore. There you go. Uh, that's the first time I've ever heard that explained that yeah. way. And I mean, people don't know yeah. where they stand. And yeah. I guess when you put it the way you did, it was very good. Um, the Bible says, rejoice always. Mm -hmm. But it also says that Jesus wept. Mm -hmm. So is depression and sorrow a sin? Or can you kind of give us some insight yeah. to that? Jesus wept. So of course it's not a sin because Jesus wept. And Jesus had sorrow because he was truly human. So uh, uh, sorrow is not a sin. Even stress is not a sin. Jesus went through stress in the Garden of Gethsemane. Or he sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. So those things are not sin. I would say this though, if you live your life without taking your sorrow and your stress to the Lord, then it can become sin and you become a gloomy Christian that nobody wants to be around. But, but as far as feeling those emotions, that's life, it's part of life and nothing's wrong with it. So they aren't something that God is throwing in front of us then? I mean, it's a human emotion. It's a human emotion. I do think there are times that God wants us to go through dry spells so, so that he can strengthen our faith, yeah. Okay. Could you explain what is prophesizing? Prophesying. Uh, we just read in First Thessalonians 5, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophesying. Jackie, prophesying is one of the 19 gifts of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, prophesying, uh, healing, uh, wisdom, all these gifts. Prophesying is when someone has a word from the Lord for you or for the church. How does that person know that it's really from the Lord? That's the good question. That's why Paul, right after he says, don't despise prophesying, he also says, but test everything. Because you probably had it, I sure have. Pastor Brock, I have a word from the Lord from you. And it turned out not to be a word from the Lord for me. So how do you know? You test it. And that's why I think it's wise. If, if someone has a prophecy, have the elders of the church pray over it and test it. And if it seems to be from the Lord, then you say it to the whole church. Okay. Yeah. Um, how do we pray for the missionaries? Or what should we be praying for mm -hmm. for missionaries that are mm -hmm. out there on the yep. fields? And well, I hope everybody watching this is part of a church. 
because if you're not part of a church, you don't have missionaries. Every church should have missionaries, and then you find out who your missionaries are, and you pray for those people. Jackie, normally it's on Tuesday. I pray for the missionaries, and I have a list of missionaries uh, that are supported by the church, and I pray for their health, their safety, their well-being, that God will use them to save the lost. And, and, but, so again, you've got you to gotta get into a church if you're not part of a church, and if you're in a church, then you say, who are our missionaries so I can pray for them? And Jackie, if your church doesn't have missionaries, then you say, Pastor, shouldn't we be supporting some missionaries? Yeah. Okay. Tom, as long as you're talking about the Bible, maybe we can go a little further on that. What version of the Bible do you like the best yeah. and the least? Okay. Let's give the best and the bad. I, I would say that, you know, we just preached everybody needs to read the Bible. I would encourage people to get the ESV study Bible, the English Standard Version study Bible. Uh, that's the one I like the best because it's very literal in translating the Hebrew Old Testament, Greek New Testament into English. It's called the English Standard Version, and it's a study Bible, and the bottom of every page they have good study notes explaining the difficult verses. Another good literal translation is the New American Standard Bible. The Bible I like least is probably the Living Bible, which takes huge liberties to make the Bible super easy. But you don't make the Bible, you know, so added to that you, you know, I don't like the Living Bible. Who makes the decision to come out with a new version of the Bible? Yeah, I mean, yeah. and publish it, and and then people have to wonder. <laughs> well, you know, publishing houses do that, and then they hopefully will get a, a band of. Christian scholars that'll do a good job putting it, putting it, uh, the translation together. So it, it just kind of depends on a publishing date, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Where should a person start reading the Bible? I mean, you, you have the order of the books. Do you go from the, mm -hmm. begin, open the cover mm -hmm. and start at Genesis and go all the way through yeah. to Revelation? I think or? that's fine to do. I think you can start at Genesis chapter one. You get right into the creation story. <clears throat> I guess, Jackie, for a brand new believer, I would say start at Matthew chapter 1. Read the New Testament first, and then go back and start with uh, Genesis chapter 1, and then read the Old Testament. I, I, I'm, on, I'm continually on a, I don't know how many times I've read through the Bible, but I continually go through the whole thing. So I think that's a good thing to do. But for a new believer, I guess I'd start in Matthew chapter 1. Read the New Testament first, and then, then the Old. Okay. Um, so... How did the Bible actually come to be? Mm -hmm. I mean, we yep. all take it for granted, and I've only got like 25 seconds, so. <laughs> yeah, well, just super quick, when somebody says, oh, the New Testament was changed over hundreds of years. No, it wasn't. The New Testament was completed by 100 AD. We have lots of ancient manuscripts, so when people say that, they don't, there's a whole science called biblical criticism where, and so... Uh, we'll have to do that at another bet. time. <laughs> we want to thank you for being with us this week. We pray that God would be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.